This morning we take the Lord's Supper. And a lot of times on the front of the Lord's Supper's table, you see, do this in remembrance of me. And then the passages that we're looking at today in chapter 22 and verse 19, he talks about do this in remembrance. And the reason that he does is because we have a tendency to forget. It's easy for us to forget. And so when Jesus instituted this, he knew our tendency to forget. So he wanted to institute something that he tied to something that was, uh, that was really tight with the Jewish people. It was an important part of their life. He tied it and built off that because he knew we tend to forget. And if we don't totally forget, it's easy just we get to do in life, you get to do in business. Yeah, circumstances go on and it's easy just for what's important to get pushed back and down on the priority list. It's been a crazy week, been a crazy last couple of weeks in the world. And it's easy for us to look at all that's going on and to think that we'll find solution and answers in all these different places. If we get the right person, if we get the right policy, if we get the right decisions in, in the courts, if we, if we get more jobs created, this, if we get people, uh, you know, you, you start accepting this group, this, you know, we'll find our answers in something outside of ourselves. Instead, we'll find our answers in Jesus Christ. But it's easy for us to forget, and he knew that. Because with things from the past, we tend to do two things. Either we exaggerate. One of my favorite uh, movie characters from the classic Napoleon Dynamite is Uncle Rico. And you remember, if you've seen this movie, if you've not, you either love this movie or you hate this movie, okay? It's one or the other. There's no in-between there. Uh, but Uncle Rico had that, if, if, if the coach would just put me in with one state. Coach just put me to one state. And the truth of the matter is, if you go back and look, Uncle Rico was probably horrible. And the reason that he was on the bench because he was not very good. But it's easy for us to look at things from our past and we tend to embellish them. That could have happened in this story. Because at the time that the Lord's Supper happened, they didn't totally understand the significance of it. When Luke records it 30 to 50 years later, he understands the significance of it. But he doesn't embellish the stories. He just gives the basic details of what's happening and puts a lot of time in the preparation. But it's important that we remember. And today, as we take this, it is a day for us to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. So I want us to do three things today. If you're looking at the online notes, I condense four into three, okay? Uh, we're working on a tight time schedule as far as me putting this together. And I told Chris, I said, Chris, I'm stepping out of the preaching rotation for a while. You let the other guys do it. If there are unusual circumstances, I will step in. I guess these are unusual circumstances. So there are three things that I want us to think. And one of those is I want us to, I'm, I'm combining points one and two. And it's basically that, that we need to look back and we need to look forward when we think about the Lord's Supper. We need to look back in our own lives and what Christ did for us. We need to look back to what, uh, you know, happened on the cross and made our salvation possible. And we want to start by looking in Luke chapter 22. So if you've got your Bibles, you can flip there. You can look on the screen. But in Luke chapter 22, and uh, all of Luke 22, 1 through 38, are great passages 
about the Lord's Supper. If you go to John 13 through 17, there's great passages about the Lord's Supper. It wasn't just some little brief event. You know, it was something that transpired over several hours. But in Luke 22, verses 14 through 16, and because, uh, you know, I I got the word tag team, you're going in on Friday, this is going to be more of an overview than an exegesis sermon, and also because I got a degree in Christian ed and not theology. So there's my other excuse. Um, But in 22, verses 14 through 16, it says, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And that's, uh, that's how you took the, the Lord's Supper. That's how you took Passover. You reclined. They reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. They still weren't getting that before I suffer part. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. He's letting them know, I'm not taking Passover with you guys again. This is it. They don't get it. Because in just a little bit, they start arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? That they're looking still for that earthly kingdom, and who's going to be the greatest? And they start arguing about this. But he lets them know that uh, I'm going to eat this Passover with you guys before I suffer. And he referenced Passover because in instilling something in them that they would remember. And he's going to tell them to do this on a regular, consistent basis. As a church, some churches take it weekly. We take it quarterly or every couple of months. But it needs to be done on a regular basis because we need to be reminded about what's important and about what's valuable. So he builds off the Passover because the Passover is like the high and the holy day for the Jewish people. They, take, they celebrate this holiday every year. This time of celebration, religious festival, it was to be celebrated in Jerusalem. Every male that lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem, that doesn't seem like far, but remember it's, it, it's mule walk uh, distance, was supposed to come uh, if they were able at all. Every Jewish person in their lifetime, if they could get there, wanted to go at least once and more than often if possible. So there were a lot of people coming into the city. If you owned a home in Jerusalem, you were supposed to open your home to anyone that came in. A lot of homes like where Jesus and them met were two levels. That second level was open, but you prepared that for guests. And if guests came, you offered that to them freely and helped with the provisions. So it was a big deal. Nero didn't understand how big it was. And the governor at Palestine at the time wanted Nero to understand what a big deal the, palace, uh, what the Passover was. And so he took a census of how many lambs were slaughtered. Now, Passover preparation began on the 10th of the month of Nisan, which is April. And on that day, you kind of figured out how many people were coming. It was a minimum of 10 that you would have at your, your, your Passover meal. It could be as many as 20 or more. So let's just say 15 on average were coming. So you started that preparation, then you figured out how many lambs you needed. You did the other preparation, removing the leaven, getting your herbs and things, your bitter herbs and all that together. It was a big deal in preparation. They prepared the area, the city, the outside area, because they didn't want somebody coming in and having to stop, take a rest, and they lean up against a tomb. And and because of that touching with the dead, then they wouldn't be able to participate. So they would whitewash the tombs and things. It was a big deal. But that year they took the census and it was estimated on the 14th between, I think it was 2.30 and 5.30, you, you killed the lambs for the sacrifice in the temple area. Over 256,000 lambs were, 
were killed for the Passover meal. Multiply that by 15, and you see how many people were coming into the city, uh, were in the city or coming into the city of Jerusalem. This was a huge, big deal that happened every year. And Jesus is about to put an entire new meaning on it. Now, most of you are familiar with the background of the Passover. Moses, Aaron, their confrontation with Pharaoh about, you know, the Israelites had been in captivity for 400 years. So, you know, God says, Moses, I'm raising you up. Moses needs a little vocal help. He gets Aaron. They're going to go. They're going to talk. They're going to, uh, God's going to demonstrate his power and the Israelites are going to let go. Pharaoh agrees, reneges, agrees, reneges. And finally, to get to the last plague, and the deal is the firstborn animal people are going to be killed. The one exception will be is if you slaughter a lamb, put blood over your door, the death angel will pass by and you will be protected. And so those that by faith did that were protected. And so from that point forward, the Israelites celebrated the Passover because at that point, Pharaoh said, let them go. And he lets them go. And not only do they leave, they leave enriched. As they go, the Egyptians are giving them possessions and valuables as they go. And God leads them. It's not an easy journey, but God is with them, delivers them. And eventually, uh, they end up many years later in the promised land, which which represents abundant life. But that's where it kind of all birthed out of. So he said, I'm going to attach a new meaning on something that is ingrained in these people. And that's what he does. He's going to give this a new meaning. If we go on and we look in um, Luke chapter 14, the next passages uh, of Scripture. Okay, I'm just going to use a stick. These are the familiar passages that we look at uh, a lot of times in regard to this. And he tells them uh, in these passages that when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Okay, I guess i got to have it by memory here. Uh, He's going to sit down together at the table, and basically he's going to introduce the breaking of the bread and the giving of the cup. And the breaking of the bread was a normal part of the Passover feast. But it represented the fact that they had to leave in haste. And because they had to leave in haste, uh, from, they didn't have time to bake the bread. So the bread didn't have any leaven in it. And that was a normal part of the Passover feast. But he said, I'm about to give a new meaning to this. And that new meaning is not going to be about the leaving of Egypt. But that new meaning is going to be that my body is going to be broken for you. And in the Passover feast, there were four cups that were usually, in Exodus 6, 6, and 7, it talks about four different uh, parts of that deliverance that God gave. And so they would do four cups to celebrate each of those deliverances. And he said, what we're going to, he took one of those cups and he said, from this point forward, there's going to be one cup. And this represents one sacrifice of my blood that's going to be given on behalf of your sins. So he gives brand new meaning to something that was, an, that was an ingrained, instilled part of their lives. From this point forward, when Passover time comes, I don't want you simply to think about deliverance from Egypt and how I did for you, but I want you to think about the fact. And you got to understand, at this time, they don't totally get it. Okay? This is pre-cross. They're not totally getting it. And again, they're going to go argue about who's the greatest. But after the resurrection, after the crucifixion and resurrection, they get it. They look back and they understand what he was trying to teach them. 
And they understand and looking back, oh, he was talking about his body being broken to pay for our sins. He's talking about his blood being shed to cover our sins. They get it at that point. And so it's important on this day that we look back and we remember the price that was paid for our salvation, that we don't forget, that we remember that his body had to be broken, his blood had to be shed for us to have a relationship with him. And he made that possible on the cross. We also need to remember individually when we made that a part of our lives. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Before we ever came to him, he had already died on the cross for us. That's what God did for you to make salvation possible. And you need to remember what God did, and you need to remember that time and point in your life when, when you made that a part of your life. Romans ten thirteen says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today is a day to remember when that day came when you called upon the name of the Lord and you were saved, and to be thankful and to rejoice about that. But if you look back and you're not sure, you have doubts, you have questions, today can be a day when you call upon the name of the Lord and you have assurance and confidence about your salvation and you can take this and it's not a ritual, but you can take it and it has meaning. This is simply a sacrament, okay? A sacrament is simply when you take something that is common and it has a special meaning attached to it. These are just little bread things that we buy in boxes that we get down here at the Christian bookstore. But we put significance when we attach that meaning of that ordinary object to the breaking of Christ's body. This is just juice because we're Baptist, okay? We got the grape juice in the cups. And that's just something we go down here to to the grocery store and we buy and Bernard puts in the cups. But because we attach the meaning to the blood of Christ, it takes on great meaning. So today, don't let this be a religious ritual that we do, that we go through, that we don't think, that we remember that Christ's body was broken. His blood was shed to make salvation possible for you. Go back and think about the time when you called upon the name of the Lord and rejoice and give thanksgiving for what God did for you. Because the difference by looking back to what Christ did for us in our time of salvation, it makes a huge difference as we look at the future. Because like with Chris today and grieving the death of his mother, the reason that he doesn't have to grieve like the world that is without hope is because he has hope. We've all, a lot of you in here have experienced the death of a a parent, a grandparent, a brother, a sister, a close friend, somebody that's very dear to you. But the reason that we don't have to grieve like the world that is without hope is because we have hope because the blood of Christ was shed for us. So we can face death differently than the world. Romans 8, 38 and 39 is a great passage. When we think about the future, We have a whole different outlook on the future because nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing, not height, not depth, not life, not death. Nothing can separate us from the. So God says, go out from here boldly and live. And if God is calling some of you or some of you or some of you older ones to the mission field and it's a place of danger and a place that's not safe, if God is calling you, there is no safer place you can be because you are safe in the hands of God and nothing 
can separate you from the love of God. Life's not about being safe. Life's about living boldly for Jesus Christ. So go out and live for Jesus Christ. As we look towards the future, Colossians 3, 1 and 3, I think is a great passage. Because as we look out at the future, it tells that we live by a different set of standards from the world. The world gives us these unattainable standards. The world says, you got to approve of me, and you got to accept me, and you have to like me, and, and, and my worth and value of a person depends on what somebody else says about you. And God says, no, it says about what Jesus Christ says about you that he loves you, that he died on the cross for you, that you are his child, and that he, you are his and with him forever. Colossians 3, 1 and 3 says, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you die to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. We're to think about eternal things, not temporary things. And in this life, it's so easy to get measure our life by money, by possessions, by, by value, by position. That's what Judas got caught up in. Judas was caught up in position. He was caught up in money instead of just being broken before Christ. And God tells us in this passage We're about something different. We've got a world, a hurting world out here looking for significance in stuff and things and position and validation instead of looking for their significance in Jesus Christ. And God reminds us as we face a future that some people are worried and scared about because we have Jesus Christ with us, because nothing can separate us from that love, because we have a different set of of values and priorities, we can face that future with confidence. We can store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where dust can't touch and moss can't touch and thieves can't steal. We can store up treasures that last as we think about the future. This reminds us of that. That Christ is coming to relationship with us and he's coming to relationship for us to live differently and to be totally and completely about different priorities and different values. God's desire for every one of you in this room is to have a life of influence and impact. And you can have that. That's what he called those apostles to. When they got it, when they got it, Judas, again, when he understood, wait, wait, this isn't what I was signing up for. He didn't want to be a part of it. The other guys... They got it, and they understood this may cost me family, life, position, and they boldly went and made an influence and impact for Jesus Christ. That's what God's called you to do. Don't get caught up in the world standard. Live for something and buy something different. Now, here's an important thing about today. Not only do we need to look back and we need to look forward, but we need to look inside. We need to look inside. Two great people that we get in this passage to help us look inside are Judas and Peter. And you need to decide whether you've got the Judas syndrome, and I hope you don't, or the Peter syndrome. But here's the thing we need to understand about Judas. And I want to read these passages real quick in Luke 22, verses 21 through 23, uh, about Judas. It says, But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. Don't miss that. His hand was right there with Christ on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Here's the thing about Judas. The disciples, you know, in their mind, he's a good guy. He says somebody's going to depray betray me. They don't all get together and start pointing their fingers at Judas. Hell, he's the one that's about to do this. 
I mean, his hand is there with Jesus. Jesus references that. He leaves. Jesus references that. There is no suspicion whatsoever on Judas in this situation. Judas was a religious person. Judas had a position. He was the treasurer. You know, maybe they thought, man, he's a little funny, a little tight with money, but sometimes you go, that's a good quality in a treasurer. But he has a position. You know, he's going about with them. He's seeing the miracles. He's seeing the different things that's going on. They don't suspect him. And the thing that you need to do and you need to examine today is, do I have a relationship with Christ or do I have a relationship with religion? Do I have a relationship with Christ or I'm just somebody that comes to church and I have positions and I have places that serve, but I've never been broken by Jesus Christ? Judas wanted to define his Savior. He wanted to determine the type of Messiah that he followed. Judas wanted to say, I'll follow with Jesus as long as this Jesus is interested in politics, as long as this Jesus is interested in in overthrowing things, as long as this Jesus can give me position, maybe there's a little bit of money involved. That's the kind of Jesus I follow. But when the in John chapter 13, when his feet are anointed, when the veil is broken, and he sees this, this uh, ointment that's worth a year's wages being put on Jesus's feet. He's like, whoa, what are you doing? I mean, this is valuable money. He finally gets it, maybe before the other guys, that Jesus is about a whole nother set of principles and priorities. And he goes, I don't want a part of this. That's not the type of Jesus he signed up for. And we got to be real careful that we don't sign up. I'll determine what my standards of salvation is. I'll determine how I'll follow Jesus. In this area, I will. This area, I'll give him this area, but not this area. I'll follow Jesus who says this is okay, but I don't want to follow Jesus who's got a problem with this. We want it, and we can't. We come to Jesus totally and completely broken and say, God, there's nothing I can do for my salvation. I am broken before you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Examine yourself. Make sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and not with religion, not with just coming every week, not with your own idea of what it means to follow Jesus or some denominations, but you are broken and you are a follower of Christ. Here's the other one real quick. It's the Peter syndrome. You've got to make sure when we take this, because there is a passage in Corinthians uh, that tells us to examine ourselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 26 through 32, if you want to look at that sometime, it talks about examining ourselves. And right in the middle of that, in verse uh, 28, it says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. So this morning, none you need, one, you need to examine yourself to make sure you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or this is just a ritual. But two... Like Peter, you need to examine yourself and make sure that there's anything in your life that you need to confess and deal with. Jesus tried to point out to Peter, he he tried to point out to him, Peter, you got some things in your life that you need to deal with. If we go back and we look at those passages in uh, 2 Peter chapter, uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 22, Uh, verses 31 through 34, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Simon replies, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. Simon has a different assessment of himself. He says, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. He's trying to point out to him, Simon, man, I see your heart. I see your potential. You are going to do some amazing things. But right now, 
you got some problems. You're overestimating yourself a little bit. You got a little bit of a courage problem. You got a little bit of a cockiness problem. And Solomon, you need to deal with this. And right then and there, Solomon could have broke down and said, you know, a lot of what I do out here, it's cover up. There is fear in me. And God helped me with that. But he didn't. He didn't deal with it. But later, God put him in a situation that made it abundantly clear he was broken. And then later, we see Jesus forgive him and restore him. This morning, I'm asking you to examine yourself. If the Holy Spirit is pointing out things in your life that you need to deal with, then deal with them. Just like Jesus was trying to point out some things to Peter, but Peter looked at it a little differently. If God's saying, look, I know you see your prayer life like this, but here's what your prayer life really is. You need to adjust that. Here's what your Bible study is. You need to adjust that. There's some folks you need to forgive and get things right with. Quit making excuses and saying, well, when they come to me, what am I calling you to do? Here's the way you need to look at your possessions. You're looking at that totally differently. you got an anger issue. You need to deal with that. You need, I've given you gifts and talents you need to serve. Don't try to bargain with God. Don't try and say, look at it from your perspective. Confession means saying exactly what Jesus says about your sin. And when God points something out for you, don't argue, just deal with it. And this morning, if God, like he did with Peter, is saying, you know what? Here's an area in your life. It's not terrible, but it could be a whole lot better. Here's an area of your life you're struggling with, and you need to turn it over. Here's something you need to let go, you need to pick up. Whatever it is he's pointing out to you, respond to it like God's calling you to respond. And the reason that we need to be right on the inside is because God's got us a a big mission. And here's the last thing. God has called us to look out, to look up and look out, very simply. God wants us every day looking up at him and then being involved in his mission out to the world. Uh, Just two passages we're closing with, the great commission and the great commandment. The great commandment tells us that we're to love God and then we're to love people. But if we forget this, then loving him becomes a secondary priority. If we forget this, we start not being in right relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we forget, and if we're not in right relationship with our brothers and sisters, then the great commission to go and take his message into all the world, to go and make disciples, that becomes second, third, fourth, fifth priority. Other things start popping up. And we don't care and we're not concerned as much with people. When we keep this as priority, when we keep Jesus Christ as priority, then his priorities stay our priorities. And that's loving people and sharing the message of Christ and discipling them with others. That's what God has left us here and called us to do. So as we come to this time of of invitation, I want it to not just be a time of invitation. I want it to be a time of preparation for you as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. I want you, number one, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to take this and it means something. I want you to experience how the blood has covered your sins and his body was broken for you. Come down and talk to somebody and receive the gift of salvation, never to be separated from the love of God. Receive that gift. And if you've received that gift, then I want you to just take some time then, not invitation, but let this be a time of preparation. And be honest with God about where you are in your walk with him. And if there are some things he's pointing out with you, you need to adjust, to get right, to let go, to pick up. Quit fighting with God. He comes that you might have life abundantly. 
Satan's the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If God points out things, it's because he's got this incredible journey, mission, this life of influence and impact he wants you to have, but you've got to trust and obey and follow him. So during this time of invitation and preparation, if you need to come forward, you come forward. If you need to just sit where you are and just sit down and, and, and just kneel there in the pew and talk to God, do that. If you're in the balcony and you don't want to come forward, just, just go up there behind the sound booth. Kneel there and kneel where you're sitting, but do business with God. Prepare yourself to receive the gift of salvation if you hadn't. Prepare yourself to receive this time of remembrance. If you would, stand up. Join Josh.